0: It's good to be back here with you this morning. If you have your Bibles open there at Matthew chapter 16, we'll go to those scriptures here in just a little bit. It's good to see a lot of familiar faces with us this morning, folks that we've seen for, uh, known for many, many years, and it's always good to come back and see you. And I know I haven't got around to everybody yet, but hopefully we'll get to shake hands and say hello before uh, you get out of here today at some point. But it's also good to see a lot of uh, unfamiliar faces. Uh, That's the way church is supposed to be. Uh, there are supposed to be some unfamiliar faces when you've been gone for seven years to come back and see, and so I'm glad to see that, and I'm glad that you've been faithful to the house of the Lord this morning. We're looking here at Matthew chapter 16. It's a familiar passage to you if you've been in church any length of time, you've probably heard this passage referenced and I want us to consider it a little bit this morning because there's a very important exchange between Jesus and his disciples uh, here uh, with this and uh, as usually as is the case Peter is the one who likes to speak up. Uh, We find throughout scripture that whenever there is a question put forth to the disciples majority of the time it is Peter who has something uh, to say. But what we find here in, in this exchange between the Lord and and Peter is something that's extremely important for the church. It deals with the foundation of the church. It deals with what the church is all about. And if we're not careful we get our minds and our and our eyes off of what the purpose of church is. Uh, some have the idea that that church is all about uh, being a humanitarian station. And I, you know, I'm all for us meeting the physical needs that folks have and trying to be a blessing to him to them but that's not the purpose of the church. Some, some believe that the church should hold political sway over their communities and government. Now, I believe we should be involved in trying to influence our laws for righteousness, but that is not the main purpose of the church. Some believe the church should be a meeting place for fellow believers and should be a shelter from the world around us. And I do believe the church should keep itself from worldly influences, and I believe it should be a place for encouragement. But that is not the main purpose of the church. Those may be secondary things along the way, but that is not the main thing. You understand that if we wanted to get a large crowd put together and draw them in, we could have all kinds of different programs going, build a larger building, and and do all kinds of uh, things to attract people. But if if we're just doing that, what difference are we than all the other community organizations around us? Out where we're at, we've got the Elks Lodge and the Rotary Club and the Lions Club and all those. I'm not sure if those are up here. We had the uh, Moose Lodge uh, for us in, uh, uh, in Trenton there as well. and so. But those are all community organizations. They have a purpose to try to better their community. The church should better the community, but not in the same way all of those civic organizations do. Instead, there's something that is far different that is supposed to happen in the church. And I want us just to take some time this morning... And consider and ask ourselves this morning as we're here in church, are we accomplishing our purpose as the church? Are we accomplishing our purpose as a church? Let's go here to this passage again that Brother Tim uh, read for us uh, here. And let's consider some of the things that takes place. First, I want you to see here the posing of the question. The posing of the question. Jesus often did this. He would take the time and he would ask a question to try to get people thinking to see, what do you th- believe? How often do we find ourselves doing this here whenever somebody will say, uh, well, do you believe? And they'll, they'll rattle off what they say and you'll kind of go, mm, yeah, that sounds pretty good. And we'll oftentimes go along and agree with them unless it's totally out of, against what we believe. We'll say, no, I don't believe that at all. But how often is it difficult for us to actually verbalize what we truly believe? If somebody just came up to you and said, well, what do you believe? And just left you with a blank slate. Where would you go? That becomes very difficult, doesn't it? It becomes difficult to, uh, to put into words what we believe. And that's what Jesus is doing here with, uh, with Peter and the disciples. And he's asking them a question here. Uh, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? There was not, it wasn't that Jesus had a, uh, an identification crisis here. It wasn't that all of a sudden he forgot who he was. He couldn't find his driver's license. And, you know, who am I? Uh, He didn't have sudden amnesia and he needed help from the disciples. No, the question was put forth the disciples because he wanted them to say, this is what we believe. Jesus uses that term, son of man. And that that term there is is a divine name for himself. And he wants them to understand, look, I am the son of man. That is who I am. But notice, I want you to notice, if you will, where he is located at. He's located in the town of Caesarea Philippi. You say, well, what's the big deal about that? Well, Caesarea Philippi was outside of Jewish territory. He's asking this question in a Gentile place. I just find it very interesting that whenever he begins to talk to them about who he is, that he didn't do it in Jerusalem or he didn't do it uh, in, uh, in one of the other towns, Capernaum, one of the other places within the, the, uh, the bounds of, 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 of Israel. But instead he says, here he is in a Gentile town. And he says, who do you think I am? says, well, is that really a big deal? I do believe it's a big deal. I believe Jesus chose this setting to help his disciples realize that the gospel was not for the Jews only. He's helping them understand, listen, if you realize who I am, you'll notice where I'm standing at. I am not keeping myself within the bounds of Jewry. I'm here in in Gentile area, and I'm meeting the needs of the Gentiles, and I'm preaching the gospel to the Gentiles as well. It's not just for the Jew only. Why? Because the the disciples had this idea that Jesus had come to set up his kingdom for the present day to overthrow the Roman uh, uh, government and to take over and set up a Jewish kingdom. Jesus was not concerned about setting up a Jewish kingdom. Jesus was concerned about saving all of the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God came for the purpose to save mankind, not just one little group of people. And if we're not careful, we sometimes think Jesus is all about us, those within the walls of the church. It's not. He is all about everybody in this world. All those that you think deserve Jesus and all those that you think don't deserve Jesus. He's, he's there for everybody. And He wants our mindset to be there, if you will. We're told in John chapter 1 that Jesus came unto His own, but what did they do? They received Him not. They rejected him in John 1, verse 11, the Bible tells us. And I just love it here that Jesus poses this question here in this little town, uh, in, 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 in this Gentile territory, and in the backdrop here, just sending a message to his disciples, it's not just you that I'm here to save. I'm here to save the world. What a blessing to know that. But I want you to see here the answers that the disciples give uh, to Jesus whenever uh, they, they, they are asked. is who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said... Some say, some say, uh, you know, there, there's a lot of talk going around town, Jesus, about you. And, and there's a lot who are, who are trying to figure out who you are. Even though Jesus made claim to the fact that he is the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come to the earth to save the, sin, uh, to, to save the world from their sins, they have chosen to reject him. And so they try to come up with some other answer. What are the answers that are being put forth? Well, some believe uh, that you are John the Baptist. Well, John the Baptist was dead. He had his head uh, uh, cut off just a, uh, just a, a little bit of time before this. Really not much time had passed. And so many believe that John the Baptist had come back to life. Wait a second. Hold on a second. Wasn't Jesus and John the Baptist alive at the same time? You see, you understand the ridiculousness of this answer? Now, Even Herod himself said, oh, John the Baptist, he's alive again. No, Jesus has been around way before John the Baptist passed away. But that's the ridiculous, they're trying to come up with an answer uh, because they don't want to accept Jesus as the Messiah. He says this here, oh, others said that uh, it's Elijah. Well, what's that reference to Elijah? Well, that goes back to Malachi. When in Malachi chapter 4, uh, where Malachi said that, uh, that, uh, that Elijah would come back on the scene one day and, and he would return and, and be the scene and say, so, well, maybe that's who this is. This is Elijah come back in the flesh. That's the explanation. Fair explanation. That makes sense. But he's greater than Elijah. He was doing more than Elijah could do. As Some thought maybe he was Jeremiah. Where they got Jeremiah from, we have no idea. We're just, we're, we're drawing straws now. We're just trying to figure out, we're throwing darts at the dartboard. And what name can we come up with next? And then they just said, and one of the prophets. They are throwing names out everywhere. They're trying to come up with an answer. And, and what they knew was this here. He was different from the teachers of that day. He had a different presence to himself at the end of Matthew chapter 7. The Bible says at the end of the Sermon on the Mount that after Jesus got done teaching them uh, there on on the Mount that day that they were all amazed at him because he taught them as one having authority and not as one of the scribes. There was a difference about him. It was was remarkable to see the difference. And by the way, as a Christian, there should be something different about us. There should be something different in our spirit. There should be something different about the way we handle things, the way we we talk to folks. There should be a concern for eternity in everything that we do whenever we're going and we're we're living our lives. So there should be something. There was something different about this Jesus. But here's what we got settled with all this here was this. Nothing was settled. Nothing was settled. I want you to notice this here. There, Jesus doesn't just leave them there. He gives them a pointed question. There's a pointed question. I want you to see this. While the crowds have been around, Jesus' disciples had a close relationship with him, and he wanted to know. I understand the crowd is not getting it, but are you getting it? What what a difference, right? I understand the crowd has come up with different answers, but are you getting the message? Boy, that that should be every one of us this morning. As we sit in our seat this morning, I'm glad you're at church and I'm glad you're here to sing the songs. and I'm I'm glad that you're part of 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 just the service today to worship the Lord. He is deserving of our worship. He deserves the glory. He deserves our attention for sure, but he has a question for you. He has a question for you. He had a question for Peter. He had a question for the disciples. He has a question for me. He has a question for every single person sitting in this room. And your answer will determine your eternity. But whom say ye that I am? Whom say ye that I am? It's easy to go along with the crowd. We don't like to stick out. You know It's funny how they, everybody talks about individualism, and, and we, want, we just want to, go to you know, we want to do things my way, and I'm going to have my truth and, and all these things that are said these days. But isn't it interesting how so often as the more we try to become individualistic, we become more like everybody else around us? Why? Because as humans, we don't like standing out. Brother Tim was in here, he was asking questions in Sunday school hour he had chocolate to give out to everybody and he said would you just raise your hand and nobody was wanting to raise their hand I don't want to be I don't want to be stu- I don't want to make the wrong answer how many have ever been in that situation you're asking something you're like mm, I don't know are you trying to trick me is this a tricky question I don't want to I don't want to look like a fool Jesus asked that question whom whom say ye that I am Jesus knew what they would say but he wanted them to say it for their faith to be built And this morning, Jesus wants to know, whom do ye say that I am? Jesus is not concerned what anybody else is saying about him. He wants to know what you believe about him. Do you believe he is the Savior? Do you believe he is who he said he was? Regardless of what friends and family believe, where do you stand? You understand one day you will stand before the Lord and you will give an account of your answer. Every one of us. If we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, that means we have answered in the, in, the, in the affirmative, yes, we believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. We'll be at the judgment seat of Christ. But if we do not answer affirmatively that he is the Messiah, we will stand at the great white throne judgment where it is just simply there to be judged according to our works and we will be guaranteed to be cast into a lake of fire for all eternity. There are only two options. There's no in-between, there's no gray area. And Jesus preaching, it was very clear, there's a heaven and there's a hell. And it's one of the two that you're going to go to. Whenever he gave the parable of the rich man in in Luke chapter 16, one went to hell, one went to paradise, and Abraham's bosom, as was called that day. Uh, That's where there was just two options for people to go to. The question is this morning, what do you believe? Well, I I know that the church believes, no, 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 we're not concerned what the church believes. Well, you know, my, my, my parents believe. We're not concerned what your parents believe. Well, you know, my, uh, my, my youth group, we, no, we're not concerned what they believe. When you stand before the Lord, you will stand there by yourself in the presence of a holy God. And the question is simply this, what have you done with my son? That is a powerful, soul-searching question that all of us must consider this morning. What do you believe about Jesus? If you believe he was just a good man, that's not good enough. If you believe he came and he done a lot of good works, that's not good enough. If you came and said, well, he set a good example for us to live by, that is not good enough. What's the question? What's the, what's the question Jesus asked? Whom do men say that I am? Notice here the response, the powerful response. Uh, What a a response from Peter on that day. The power that was in this simple statement. We said, look at it. And if we're not careful, we'll read right over verse 16 quickly. And we won't even give it much thought. But notice what he says in verse 16. And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ the son of the living God. You're the Messiah. You're the promised one. You're the one we've been looking for. You're the one that in the garden of Eden, Genesis chapter three, that you told Adam and Eve that you're going to send a seed. Uh, You are that one that that was promised to us. You're the one that Abraham was promised that would come along and he would be a blessing to all nations. Uh, You're the one that's the answer to that. You're the one that's going to sit on the throne of David for all eternity. You're the one who answers all of those questions for us. You are the Christ. What a statement. What an unbelievably powerful statement to say that you are the answer for a question for 4,000 years. For 4,000 years, every Jewish woman having a baby boy said, maybe this is the Christ. And now here he is. Thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. Oh, Peter, sometimes we get on him, don't we? Sometimes he says some really dumb things. I heard one preacher preach a message on Peter and he simply entitled his message, Peter, the Shoe Leather Eater. All right. Yeah. I've stuck my foot in my in my mouth a few times myself, too. Well, what wait, but this time here Peter had it right. He was spot on with his answer whenever God uh, proposed this question. This was not a flippant answer. This was a declaration of faith by Peter in whom he believed Jesus was. He was the Messiah. He was the fulfillment of Bible prophecy. He was more than just a good man. He was who he said he was. He said he is the son of the living God. That was blasphemy if it wasn't true. Peter could have been taken out and stoned to death for such a statement by the Pharisees and the Sadducees, except for this one thing, it was the truth. And even though the religious elite did not want to accept it, it did not change the truth of the matter. He was and is and forever will be the Christ, the Son of the living God. That is who he is, that is who he was. Does your statement of faith, your personal statement of faith, fall in line with what Peter said that day. Are you trusting him or are you trusting something else? The power of this statement is not found so much in just the words spoken, but I want you to see it's not just those words, but it's where it came from. Peter often was speaking off the top of his head. That's why he got himself in trouble. But not this time. Notice what Jesus said in verse 17. Blessed art thou, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood hath not revealed unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. Peter, you've been along with me. You've seen, you've heard the, the message. You've seen the miracles done. And my Father has revealed to you that I was the Christ. I am the Christ. And you received it and you said, I believe what you're saying. He said you've got that truth because of it coming from God himself. By the way, no man could come to the Father except the uh, the Spirit draw him. Unless the Spirit is drawing, uh, we cannot come. Listen, our old flesh, we fight against it. We want to reject it. We want to be our own gods. We want to do things our way, but we have to do it God's way if we're going to get to heaven. Jesus told his disciples on that final night with him in John 14:6, "I am the way," singular, not multiple ways, not I'm one of the best ways. No, he is the way that is the article used for a single one way direction i am the way i am the truth In this day and age that we live in where everybody wants to proclaim my truth jesus says no there's not a bunch of truth there is a singular truth and i am it and i am the life no man cometh to the Father but by me. This morning I would ask you, have you received Jesus Christ? Could you say with Peter, I believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. I believe there is no other way to heaven, neither is given among men uh, any other name whereby we must be saved. The Bible says we must be saved by that precious name of Jesus this morning. And here Peter says, I understand who you are and I believe it. And Jesus said, I'm so glad that you got it, Peter. I'm glad you've been listening to the Spirit. I'm glad you've been listening to the Father. I'm glad you got the message. Yes, you believe correctly. Where is it that our faith is put at? Jesus states here that Peter did not come up with this on his own. He did not hear some other preacher make the statement, these words were directly from God Himself. And so it is for all of us. We have to get it ourselves. We can hear the preaching of God's Word. We can have good people come along and teach us and try to help us to understand the way, but until we make it our own, you can come to church every single Sunday, morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. If the church doors are open for special services, you can show up to every single service. And you can do that for an entire lifetime. You can have every perfect attendance pin that there is known to man. But it is not impressive to God one bit. You can be be faithful in your giving. You can be a a generous person. You can be a kind person. You can be all those things. But unless you receive Jesus Christ, it amounts to nothing. It amounts to nothing. Why? Because our righteousnesses, the Bible says, are as... Filthy rags, torn, dirty, of no use. The best that we do is filthy in God's sight. Therefore, I must have the righteousness of Christ. How do I receive that wonderful righteousness of Christ? It is this. It is the putting on of his righteousness. It's putting on who he is. It's taking his life and making it mine. I like how Paul said it in Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. In the life which I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's what he, he said that's what it's all about, is that I'm not here to live for myself, for to me to live is Christ, he said. In Philippians 1, 21. Jesus was the whole essence of Paul's being. That's why when he got saved on that Damascus road that day in Acts chapter 9, and he looked up and he said, who art thou, Lord? And Jesus revealed himself to him that day, and he received Christ as his personal Savior. It changed everything about Paul's life. Suddenly, Jesus became the theme of Paul's life. When Jesus comes in, he makes a difference. The Bible tells in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17 that old things are passed away. Behold, all things, all things, not just some of the things, not just my Sunday things, but my Monday and my Tuesday and my Wednesday and my Thursday and my Friday and my Saturday things Amen. are all changed. This morning, do you know Christ? Have you received Christ as your Savior But let me get us here real quick here and we'll try to wrap this up. I want you to see that Jesus built off of this because it leads us to what the purpose of our church is all about. What is the purpose of the church? Jesus says in verse 18, and I say unto thee that thou art Peter and upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then charge thee as disciples that they should tell no man that he was Jesus the Christ. There's an, there's an interesting statements that are given to us in these verses and if we're not careful, we'll, we'll take them, we'll twist them and we'll make them say what they don't say. There are, there's, a, there's an entire church system that is built upon these verses that have twisted it and turned it to mean what it does not mean. The church is not built upon Peter. In fact, what, what Jesus is saying when he says that, he says, thou art Peter, that, that, that is a little stone. You go out into the parking lot here, you'll probably find some little stones out there. Uh, you find those little stones, that's what he's talking about. I don't think any of us would build a, build a building on as that is our foundation. This last uh, week, I guess it's been two weeks ago now for us, we... We had our missions conference at our church and we had some wonderful families in with us and they had a bunch of little kids. And so we decided we're going to take them out to well, a state park is called Elephant Rocks. And that's exactly what they are. They are these giant, massive boulders that just have come up out of the earth. It's an interesting place. Of course, the kids love it because they get to just run all around and just climb all over these things like this here. But much of that rock has been quarried out of there for the purpose of using for foundation stones because they are so thick, they are so, so deep. You could actually move some of those larger stones out of the way and build something on, on those rocks, and it would not move. Uh, Jesus, as he follows this up, he says this, that, and upon this rock, totally different word, used, In fact, what Jesus uses here, this this word, the rock, is the same word that he uses in Matthew chapter 7 when he says that uh, that the wise man built his house upon a rock. It was a foundation. It was something that was solid, something that wasn't going to move. What is that foundation that he's talking about here? Here is the rock that's being referenced by Jesus. It is this, that he is the Christ, the son of the living God. The church is built on this fact that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. That's what the church is built on. That is what the purpose of the church is, is to go forward and proclaim the message that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. The church's purpose is to bring glory to Jesus Christ. What greater way can we bring glory to the Lord than to bring others to know him? The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2 that uh, those who will be saved by his grace will forever be a testimony of his grace so that everybody will give glory to God because of the grace that he has shown to us. The more folks that trust Christ, the more glory God's going to get for all eternity. That's what the church is all about in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 21. The Bible tells this here, uh, to him be glory uh, both now and forever in the church uh, by Christ Jesus. Uh, Amen. That's the whole purpose of the church, to bring glory to him, uh, to lift him up. The Bible tells in Philippians chapter 2 that one day every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is, Is Lord. He is who He said He was. It is the truth. No matter how people have taken the Word of God and twisted it and turned it and tried to take away Jesus' deity, they are wrong. He is truly who He said He was. He was 100% man. He was 100% God at the same time. How does that work? I have no idea. God's bigger than I am. He can figure it out. I just know I'm supposed to believe it. That's what the Bible teaches. Question this morning what do you believe about Jesus? What do you believe about Jesus? Are you, are you putting your faith and trust in him? Are you, are you putting your, your, your trust in, in him to get you to heaven one day? Notice the Bible says again there in verse uh, uh, as 18, he says this here, he says, I will build my church. There's, the very, there's a great possession there. I always, oh, we refer to this place here, yeah, you, fo- you folks have probably referred to this place as your church. And I understand what you're saying, but you understand this is not my church. This is not your church. This is his church. And by the way, that'll help us make the right kind of decisions. It's not about what I want. I'm watching the clock back there. Our society has become so consumer-driven that we walk into church anymore and say, what can the church do for me? Jesus says, it's not about you. If the church is catering to you, we've got a problem. The church is supposed to cater to Jesus Christ. Because what will happen is the church will begin to do the surveys and find out well, what do you want? What does that person want? What will draw the biggest crowd in? And we begin to add all these other things in that are not conducive to worshiping God, instead, it's about worshiping me. What do we want to do this morning? Jesus told his uh, disciples in John chapter 8, If I I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. I know that's directly in reference to the the cross itself, but it also has a, a secondary application in this here. If we will take the time to lift Jesus Christ up in our churches, he'll draw men to him. We don't need all the fancy stuff. We don't need all the programs and everything else. And I'm all for programs. I'm all for having the, uh, the, the Easter stuff next Sunday. We've we got a candy cannon we're using in our place. We're going to be blasting candy out all over this field for kids to go and run and try to get shot with. It's going to be great. <laughs> and we'll do the fun stuff like that. And we'll have a great time. And I'm not against that stuff. But listen, if we're doing things just for that purpose, just to have fun, we miss the boat. When they come in next Sunday, when we come in this Sunday, when you come back tonight for church, when you come back Wednesday night for church... What are we gathering for? It's to lift him up. And as I learn about lifting him up in this place, I will go out of this place and I will lift him up in my life. If anything is going to be built, if anything is going to get accomplished, it must be done by him. When he's at the foundation, is directing the church, Satan and all of his demons can do nothing to destroy the church. Throughout history, he has fought against the church and tried to destroy it. You read through history, you read Fox's Book of Martyrs, and you read other uh, books of that, of that sort, you'll find that the, the blood of the saints has run down through history. And it hasn't stopped in our day and age. It is said that in the 20th century, the century we just finished just not too long ago, in the 20th century alone, more folks have died for the cause of Jesus Christ than all combined in the 1st through 19th centuries. The blood of the saints. I believe one of the early church fathers said this here. I believe it was Tertullian. They said the blood of the saints is the seed of the church. As they watched people give their life for Christ, the people in the Roman Colosseums as they sat would become a Christian themselves and put their faith and trust in Him. That doesn't seem like a very good evangelistic tool to us, does it? Let's go crucify Brother Rob out front next week and see if we can draw a crowd. You'll draw a crowd. But I doubt we're going to have a lot of folks wanting to join the church. It might be me next week. But as folks gave their life, people were drawn to why? Because they saw real faith. Do people see a real faith in your life? Peter, John, James, who do you say that I am? You're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. That's who you are. He comes to us this morning and he asks, Brother Tim, who do you say that I am? Tom, who do you say that I am? Brother Ed, who do you say that I am? And he just goes down to each one of us one by one. And your answer this morning will determine your eternity. We don't know if maybe this week you may be standing before your God and have to answer that question. We don't know. I say, Pastor, this is a very sobering message on a Sunday morning. It's because it's real. The church is not about the building, the steeple, or even the people. It's about Jesus Christ. And it's about doing all we can to point others to Christ and making sure that we are who we're supposed to be. He says, I will build my church. I'll build my church. If you're saved this morning, is Jesus the foundation for all that you do? As you go forward in your church, let's make sure he's the one that's getting the glory, not us. Let's do all to the glory of God. And this morning, if you cannot answer as Peter did that day, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God, you're my Savior. This morning, I would invite you to come. Allow somebody to take a Bible and sit down and show you what the scripture says, what must be done to receive Jesus Christ. It's very simple. It's very easy. God does not put a bunch of stuff in the way to cause things difficult. No, he makes it simple. Even a child can get it. He says we have to have childlike faith. Would you come and receive him before it's too late? Father, thank you.